Chapter 6. It's a lovely healing day. I woke up at 6.15 a.m., and that is wonderful. This is the latest I have slept since the day before surgery on October 28th. Another great joy is I only had to wake up to urinate four times. I know, four times sounds like a lot, but for me, since surgery, I have awakened to my bladder screaming, me, 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 take care of me, five times during the night. It's almost as if my bladder, fueled by Lasix to remove excess surgical fluids, is an infant needing tremendous, tremendous care and attention. Yesterday, we were visited by an occupational therapist. She taught me how to get dressed myself without compromising creating pain in the incisions in my chest. I can slowly put my shirt on. I can slowly put my pants on. And I can very slowly put my shoes and socks on as long as I can rest my leg on the knee without pain. Hallelujah. Progress is being made. I feel more alert, awake, and stronger today than I have since before surgery. A friend of Sandra's sent beautiful flowers for me yesterday. They are an arrangement of a variety of yellow hues, from mini roses to carnations and daffodils. Perched within the arrangement are two butterflies that beautiful universal symbol of transformation. Transformation. Here I am. I'm ready, willing, and able. I'll listen for God's truth. The still, small voice will guide me, as it always has, on my new path to serve and be an emanation of God's unconditional love. I've always loved the stages of butterflies. I've always loved the stages of a butterfly's transformation. My stages have grown from a little boy in love with nature, always feeling a strong bond of loving family and home. This was my groundwork. This was my base, my parents' and family's unconditional love. During all the normal struggles and challenges of growing up, I knew deeply in my heart I was loved. I could always find a safe place. My parents' home was always safe. When I needed, I could escape or run away to my grandparents' farmhouse 200 yards away from my front door. There I would find warm hugs, hot soup, homemade bread, hard candy, and big welcoming rocking chairs on the wide wraparound front porch. In my adolescence, I moved between the worlds of sports and, and athletics and the growing awareness of music, poetry, art, and creativity. My first significant high school football injury to my kidneys opened my, opened my eyes to poetry, Shakespeare, drama, speaking in public, and the beautiful relationship between words and music. 
I've always loved singer-songwriters, and I've always loved the intimacy between words and music. My closest friends at this time were musicians. I never saw myself with that talent, but I could carry a tune, contribute, help, and support. To this day, music inspires me. One of my dearest, oldest friends has asked me to help create lyrics for some of his new compositions. I'm so grateful for this trusted creative relationship. I am aware that as I lead, I want to sing more. As I heal, I want to sing more. In 1970, I met my oldest friend. I've known Joe B. for 50 years. That's mind-boggling. <laughs> That's miraculous. Except for some great marriages, I don't know anyone who's loved a friend for so long. Our friendship has stood the transitions of college excess. Joe making the military work for him and me pursuing my passion to serve in education. We have shared the joys of each of us finding lifetime partners in marriage. We have shared the stories and growth of our children, and now Joe and Karen share their grandchildren with us. My next major transition was into my lifetime commitment of educator. The beginning was tough. I spent six months substitute teaching. Nothing fit with my previous training. My teacher prep training was experiential, creative, and was integrated with humanistic psychology and leadership. In March, I remember getting my first real job. I was hired by the principal of the high school, which I graduated from in 1970. Now it's 1975, I think. I accept this position to teach religion to to ninth graders. The promise is explicit. Quote, these students have burned out four previous teachers. If you survive until June, you can teach humanities and psychology in September. End quote. There were many times when I felt I was born to teach. I remember and have shared with my graduate students one moment when I felt my career was over. There was, young, one, there was one young man who was a constant itch. If I knew better back then, I'm sure he had social, emotional, and behavioral needs. He sat in the first row, closest to the wall, and bulletin board, and next to the last desk. One day, I just lost my temper. I had a Bible in my hand, and as I threw it at the young man's head, my internal dialogue went something like this, Oh, no! Come back! Don't connect! Duck! I'll never teach again. Somehow, the young man ducked. The whole class laughed as did he. The white-hot heat of uncontrolled blood pressure, the embarrassment and guilt 
began to dissipate as I apologized and explored and explained that I was wrong to release my anger in his direction in that manner. It was a sincere apology and nothing was ever heard about it again. From that great transition moment, I have been a champion of social-emotional learning. The early work was identified as humanistic education and psychology. I was blessed to participate in some of the earliest drug and alcohol abuse prevention training efforts in the Philadelphia area. We brought together the principles of recovery and humanistic education and humanistic psychology and creativity and and great student service and leadership programs. I worked every day with men and women who had a very high social consciousness. There was a significant moment of integrity in my colleagues and in our work. At this time, one of the greatest transformations of my life unfolded. <clears throat> 